Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Dave. And we're the hosts of the Chasing Tomorrow podcast, where we bring you stories that delve into the science and spirit behind intriguing people doing extraordinary things. Welcome to the Chasing Tomorrow podcast. This week it's episode 53. This week we got John Stalker on the line. Now, John is a Tahoe 200 endurance runner finisher, sportathlon finisher, previous best uh, backyard uh, finish of, of 41 hours. Um, but John just had a spectacular breakthrough event mm-hmm. and it's of epic proportions. So, 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 so hear this out. John is now the world record holder for backyard events. John Stalker ended up running 81 hours. So 81 laps of 6.71 or 4.17 miles around Suffolk Backyard Ultra on June 5th. So 81 hours is 543.5 kilometers or 338 miles of continual running. Running that lap every hour until there was only one runner left standing. Matthew Blackburn ended up running second place finishing the assist in, in, in 80 hours. But John and Matthew ended up running for, I believe it was 44 hours together, head to head, not one person giving an inch. It was absolutely the most spectacular thing I've, I've seen. Um, and I can't wait to run with John down in Big's backyard down in Tennessee in mid-October. Welcome to the Chasing Tomorrow podcast, John. Thank you very much. John, it's great to have you. Um, hope you're feeling better what it's maybe a couple weeks after uh, the race and finally probably starting to recover. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but certainly since uh, you're a bit of a newcomer on this global stage now, mm-hmm. I think we should introduce you to our listeners in the most appropriate way, which is a little bit of the history. You know, was John a runner in high school? Did you run in college or compete? You know, is this something you found later in your life? Give us your sort of early story into getting into running. Okay. Um, early on, running-wise for me was always about the uh, the sprints, the, the the short stuff, the almost the, the glory stuff where it was over and done within seconds. Mm-hmm. And um, it was 100 to 200 meters. And that that was that was my running. Immediate if it went further than 200, huh? Oh, immediate gratification. Yeah, thanks. If it went more than 200 meters, um, I, I was getting worried that it was going to be a, a long race. So for, for high school or school here, that was, that was me. That was my distance. I left school being quite a, um, there's no better word for it, I guess, a, a skinny lad. Um, I didn't hold much physique and always wanted to be the guy that was maybe lifting weights and doing the work and getting a bit of size on. Always, always worried about being that skinny guy um, where really it, it shouldn't have mattered. And now having kids, you try and teach them, it, it doesn't matter. Um, and from there, I went on to the career that I've, I've had. And I only have one career and I've only ever done one thing since I left school. And that was being a, um, a, a personal trainer. Uh, I worked within the health industry. I worked within leisure centers when I left school um sports complexes and from there it was just growing up around people helping people achieve their goals and and being able to be a part of that dream that journey of other people and and being able to push them further and in that i got given a client that wanted to do a a 10k race and i had to train this client for a 10k race and i had to train to do 10k because i could not run 10k when i started (laughs) I could only do maybe one or two miles. I could not get to six miles. So training started then. And at that point, I decided that any weight gain I had on, I lost straight away doing the running again. Mm. And I didn't keep much muscle on at all. And from there, I, um, I carried on the running. I, I found that actually I enjoyed the running and I found it was not so hard as people were making out. Um, did the 10Ks moved on to marathons got dared to do a marathon in the health club where i was working um and did my first marathon and the marathons came and went and they kind of like they were too short 
uh, I'd, I'd got to the end and felt like I hadn't done what I wanted to go down to. I hadn't achieved maybe the distance or the, the feeling. I didn't get the buzz. You get it for the first few, and then after you've done the marathon distance, that's that's kind of it. That's the end. Um, and from there, it just went on quite quickly. The ultras grew and grew. Yeah, and how did you end up hearing, John, about um, ultra marathons? I mean, I, I, I could tell you about my experiences just hearing it from you know, the ultra marathoning community. And I, I personally, when I was running half marathons, marathons, I never knew that they existed. Uh, no. How did you end up hearing about, you know, these distances further than the marathon? I, I think it's, it was from um, just being on, online and searching out, because after you've done the half marathon marathons, you, you think that's it, you're, you're, you, you've reached the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't realize until you, you search for distances beyond 26.2, do you realize then that actually that, that's just the start. There's this whole different community of weird and wonderful runners that want to go through the night and through several nights and run around in loops. And it's, it's a whole new community of people that want to achieve more and to push further and see where those boundaries lie. Um, and it was through a local um, run club, through Centurion Running, um, James Elson um, for his uh, 50 miles and 100 miles, and they were the they were the first ones I went and did. I went and did my first two 50 miles in the same year, and at the end of that year, I decided maybe I could do more. So in that first year, I did my first 100 as well. And what year was that? How long ago did you uh, did you? 2000, 2015. Oh, relatively long ago. Yeah. No, wow. not, not too long ago, and. Um, Stupidly, like a child in a sweet shop, I then tried to gobble up every race I could come <laughs> to. So I think if you if you look on my DVs in 2016, I did um, four 100s uh, and all four 50 or 350 races on top of everything else. In 2017, I decided to do the, the Montaigne Spine Race um, mm-hmm. with everything else on top of it, with canals and 100 milers. I was just, I just wanted to, I just wanted to run. Mm-hmm. I wow. just wanted to be out there and be a part of it. And when you were marathoning, were you putting up fast times? Um, I think my quickest marathon is 3.06. Okay. So it's never going to break records. Right. Um, my quickest marathon came a week after I'd done a 50 miler. So it kind of like, it, it was okay, but I, I never qualified really as a fast runner. Right. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's where we're going to get to, and John, in this conversation, and I'm not going to jump too far ahead here, but, you know, backyard racing is a specific niche within the world of, some would call it the ultra of ultras, you know, because it's really, you know, you know, the the mind will drive, you know, the number, and it's really a race with no finish, and, you know, how do you not quitting and on and so forth, and so what we're going to, what I really want out of this conversation is to really try to understand who the hell is this John Stalker and why are you so good at this? And so, so let's pull back a little bit back to kind of the marathoning days and the first few ultras and, and, you know, was it this, I mean, are you typically quite a durable fellow? Like, are you, are you, you know, do you, do you, do you not break down as much as other runners you, you, you find around you? Do you, do you feel like you're feeling better at the end of a race than, than others? Yeah. I don't feel like I, I, I break that easily. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel there's there's something else in me that gives me that little bit more of a push. Right. Um, in the in at the end of the race, that that was that was it. Um, I could quite easily finish a race and the next day be back out training straight away. Hmm. Um, so it, it didn't seem to break me as much. Maybe. What would your training be like, John, in a typical week? Now. Uh, like, well, maybe leading up and then how has it evolved now? Okay. Um, it might have evolved a little bit better now because I actually listened to maybe my wife a little bit more to tell me to ease back <laughs> on the mileage. But for me, um, I, I stick between 80 to 100 miles a week. Mm-hmm. And if I had a 100 miler coming up or a 50 miler come, I wouldn't have changed my mileage. Um, maybe that's my downfall. Um, maybe I, I just enjoyed putting the mileage out there. I found consistency with the training worked for me more than anything. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, 
for me, the, the, the buildup of many of my races, I didn't change any of my training. I just continued. Um, where now maybe the, the mileage would come down maybe by 20, 30 miles in a week. Um, I think I went to the backyard race that week with already done 30, 40 miles. And so, John, are most of your runs, do they look the same? Do you get up and do the morning run and the afternoon run that look the same? Or do you do, I mean, we're last week we were talking to Olivier. Uh, he's doing speed work. You know, different runners are doing different things these days. You know, walk us through a regular uh, training week for you. Okay, so it'd be up at five in the morning, out for maybe six to eight miles first thing in the morning, uh, back home. And then it's, it's start work. So I'm with clients then. So if I have a client that's running, I'd go out and run, but run at their pace. So it's, it's about putting mileage on the legs and getting, and varying the pace of running for me really works. Um, just slowing down, especially for the, the, the backyard races, slowing down, doing that monotonous pace that just keeps on going, worked really well for me. Um, and then I can go out maybe twice a week and try some speed work. Haven't done a lot of speed work. Um, I just found that I picked up more injuries if I did too much speed work. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, then I've just started bringing in, uh, in the last year, uh, core-based exercises twice a week and strength-based exercises twice a week as well. Mm-hmm. What was your best time in 100 that you've done before? I think... Now, you, now you've got me. It'd be the autumn 100, and I think it was about 18 hours. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good, good speed. And in, um, in our preliminary stuff, you said you had done the Tahoe 200. When year did you do that? Uh, 2019. <clears throat> so walk us through that race a little bit. I mean, you know, 200 miles is 200 mile. Um, I mean, that's a you know vicious course. Uh, it's, it's horrendous. Yeah. And so you did you did you I mean, I, now I look at the backyard, you know, you doing 81 hours and I think, oh, this guy would like eat a Tahoe 200 for breakfast. I mean, it, I mean, did you did you struggle through the Tahoe 200? Massively. We yeah. landed two days before the race. Yeah. Um, so I had uh, literally a day to go up into the mountains to see where we live here. We have no altitude. Mm. Literally, we are on the flattest place ever. And then to arrive there and see where the course is going to be, we, we struggled straight away. Just arriving there um, at the hotel, it was already clear that the breathing was going to be a factor. The altitude was going to be a massive factor. Uh, that first day, it just there was no cloud in the sky. It was, it was hot. I run better with heat than I do cold. But with the, with the dust and the heat and the altitude, all three of them together, just gave me um, a real sick altitude feeling through the whole race. If I pushed hard, I felt sicker. If I just ran steady, I still felt sick, but I could control it. Mm-hmm. Um, until a lady on one of the checkpoints gave me uh, gave me the magic medicine for it. What was and that? That was, a, that was a bottle of Tums. <laughs> and uh, literally, I had two of those, and the sickness, it, it went. It was okay. fantastic. We, I, I chafed really badly in that race. I mean, really bad. Not as bad as I did on one of my races before, but I chafed with the with this with the dust and all the grit and everything. I chafed quite bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did the Tahoe 200 in 2017, and uh, it's it is wicked. It's there's no question about it. Forty thousand feet up and forty thousand feet down at that altitude, and then through the nights, three nights it, most likely, it just sort of rainstorms you know the whole thing yeah. and, uh, and it is getting yeah, dusty especially through that rubicon space and then yes oh mm-hmm. my gosh so we're mm-hmm. trying to get dave up there one of these days to see if he can uh oh he'll love it compete with some of the records up there i think we can uh shoot for that yeah that's that's that, that would be awesome so but john let's let's get into mm-hmm. the part of the conversation that i think that everybody wants to hear about because okay backyard um backyard racing all over the world there's a gazillion races sort of popping up lazarus lake started this this cascading effect of, of people finding their their you know their you know their human achievement and, and their best and and you know they you know it's a race of not quitting it's a race of of, of the grind of, of perseverance of grit um 
you end up just running 81 hours back to back. Maybe before I ask the question, let's, you know, for a lot of our audience who, who doesn't understand or doesn't know backyard racing, I'm just going to explain what backyard is for a second. So this, you know, diabolical hillbilly from Tennessee ended up a number of years ago just deciding to put on this race um, that is a, a 4.17 mile or a 6.71 kilometer looped course around his is his land in Tennessee and you know it's hilly it's it's loopy but you know you run um, that looped course every hour on the hour and so he rings a bell and you go run that loop and uh, if you get done that loop in 50 minutes five zero minutes you got 10 minutes to sit down eat drink go to the washroom do yoga do some break dancing do whatever you want to do but then there's a three-minute warning, two-minute warning, one-minute warning, and you need to be back in that starting corral again for when the bell rings and you go and do it again. And you do it again and again and again and again until either you don't finish that lap in time or you decide not to get up from your chair or the ground and do another one. So basically, it's a last-person standing event. Um, it's 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 incredible the the you know the field drops from 75 runners down to 50 down to 25 and eventually down to two and it can go on for quite quite a while because you look at the other person in the eye and say i'm not going to give an inch and you're not going to give an inch either and that's what backyard racing is it's a race with no finish line and it's a race that puts you against your competitors but mostly unto itself so john here ended up just breaking the world record by running 81 hours and, you know, I think the world, the running world is wondering, okay, what, what, who, who, and who ends up becoming good at these events? You know, I've had my theories about EA speed is, um, is, is valued in these events, you know, because you end, you end up getting a loop done a little bit quicker and you end up getting to close your eyes and rest a little bit more, you know, when it comes to breaks with digestive breaks and on so forth. But I want to, I want to hear from you, John. Like, why do you think that you're as exceptional at backyard racing as you are? I just think I'm more stubborn, maybe, Perfect. than the person stood next to me. Um, I went there with one goal and one goal only. I didn't set any other goals apart from I will do all the loops you do and I will do one more. And mm -hmm. that was my one and only mindset. I had no mindset of... Let's do the first 24 hours and let's see. Let's do the first 100. Uh, out. Let's, let's see where we go on each, each lap. It was literally one loop at a time. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what loop we were on. I didn't know what mileage we were on. I didn't want to know. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't need to know that. All I needed to know was there was still five, four, three people still in the race. Mm -hmm. that The mileage and the loop number meant nothing. It was literally how many more people do we need to keep going for? Okay, there's five more out there, we'll keep going. Um, and they dropped at 37 laps and it could have finished at lap 38 if Matthew hadn't been um, there with me. Um, and I think in these races, it's, it is meant to be a last man standing and it is a last man standing, but I think at the same time, it's slightly unfair because it, the guy next to you has done all that work as well and has this world record never have happened if Matthew hadn't been there. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, you're only as strong as your, your assist. Very and much so. So when you looked over at Matthew, um, what did you see in his eyes? Um, determination is the same. I knew Matthew from Sparta, um, a phenomenal athlete, a lot faster than me. Um, and would go off quite quickly on some of these loops and do loops uh, quite quickly. But for me, it was never about hitting speed or going as fast as possible. It was for, I had um, time checks I had to get in every mile. And as long as I hit those time checks at the mile post, it didn't matter if I walked or ran. I knew where I was. I knew how much time I needed back at the tent. And that was all I did. I just, you have to run your own race. You can't go there to run someone else's race um, and, and, and enjoy it. You, you've got to enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, there's no point there. You'll find that first night will destroy you and you'll be out. Let's talk about some of the, the underlying elements. We've had quite a few backyard racers on the podcast. And there's three pieces. There's sleep, 
there's nutrition, and then, you know, we'll call it the running piece, right? And because the, the competitive piece is later on, you know, that really, for a long time, it's about, do you sleep every time? Do you eat every time? Mm-hmm. You know, and then what's your pacing like? So let's talk about sleeping and eating. What was your strategy? And how did it work? And was it consistent? Did it change? Because 81 hours, for everyone who wants to do a little bit of math is more than three days. So this isn't just like, you know, making it through 24 and getting be done. So that's a lot of eating and a lot of not sleeping. Explain your strategy, John. Okay. Um, we, we, this time being my second time to that event, we took some uh, lay down camp beds. And the, the thought was come in on a, a loop that I didn't need to eat on, put my head down, close my eyes for five minutes, quick boost nap and back out I go. Mm-hmm. We tried it on one loop. I felt sick. That was the last time I put my head down mm-hmm. and I didn't sleep for the rest of the race. No sleep. Did you sit when you got back in though? Every time I got back, I sat, I elevated feet to take the, the weight off and got them up. Um, but apart from that, no closed eyes, um, just tended to what we needed to tend to. Um, the, the sleep didn't seem to bother me too much. Um, I only had one episode where it was almost like deja vu in the woods where I thought I'd run past this tree already. And actually I'm just running past this tree. So I only had that. And that was on the second night. Mm-hmm. Um, apart from that sleep isn't a big worry for me. I don't sleep. I only sleep between four and five hours sleep normally anywhere at night. Uh, I'm not a big sleeper. So mm-hmm. the sleep in the competition, I wasn't too worried about. And how much yeah, time were you point. in the, I'm sorry, Dave, how much time were you giving yourself each lap? Between 13 and 14 minutes maximum. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, many, I, had the, I had the 10 minutes um, to have in the tent and then you get the, the three, the two, the one, and they were, that was out and go again. And, and John, were you eating on the course? Were you eating when you got back? Um, and what were you eating? Okay, so I'm, I don't do well with gels. Mm-hmm. Um, my stomach seems to turn quite quickly if I start using gels. So I'm a true believer of using as much natural food as possible. Um, we went through everything from chili con carne one night. I had a nice evening meal that was lovely to simple protein with baked beans uh custard pods i find after maybe 50 miles i lose my saliva i can't swallow dry things very easily so anything that is high calorific and quite easy and smooth to swallow food wise uh, fruit i love getting the sugar off the fruit that seems to work well and then the only supplement i've been using is tailwind mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i use tailwind in the evenings because they use their caffeine boost ones and that's and then during the day I come back off it again and back on in the evenings and I find that helps me get through get through the evening nights. You bet. Yeah, and I know everybody has a different you know fueling strategy. My my strategy uh, with backyard racing is 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 you know when I end up finishing a loop in forty five minutes or so, you know, you got fifteen minutes of rest time, and so your heart rate goes down from one forty or whatever it is down to yep. sixty or seventy. And I find that my digestive tissues take a lot more, you, you can end up digesting a lot better when your heart rate's down. And so the idea that I'm, well, I always take food with me on the course and about 10 minutes remaining in every lap, that's when I take out and my watch goes off and it's, it's feeding time. And so then I eat, I get all that food in uh, 300, 400 calories or whatever I'm looking at. And then really my break when I get back done at the, after that 6.7 kilometer loop is my digestive time. So that's when I calm my heart rate down and I can feel all your blood flow going to your gut and pro- processing that food. So you can end up taking in an extra 50 calories or something in order to, to get back out there again. So that was, that was my strategy when it came to fueling and kind of longevity. You know, it's like, did that, you sleep? I did sleep. Yeah, you bet. Okay. So I, I would come back in and I would always sit in that chair that leans back. I forget what those are called again, but, um, you know, those lawn chairs that lean Recliners. back. 
Yeah, yeah. And um, I would have, you know, a, you know, a thing put over my eyes and ears and, and you know, the headphones with just the, the, the noise cancellation. And I'm, I'm all about routine. So come in, do the exact same thing every time. My crew would say, nighty night, Dave. And I would close my eyes and go to sleep. And, um, and then, you know, he would wake me up so I could hear the second bell go off. Okay. Yep. Because I wanted to hear it. Uh, and I'll get into that in a little bit. But um, basically just that routine of like, it's Groundhog Day. You, you just do the same thing over and over and over and over again. And, uh, and I found that it worked until it didn't work. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so it, did you find that you got into routine that you were, you know, typically, you know, sitting down, eating first or drinking first? Did you find you got into a very, very significant routine? Yeah. Every lap seemed to be almost the same. You came back in, you, you put the food back in. Um, I'd take some fluids on and then I usually it wasn't so much how much I didn't, I wouldn't eat too much. Um, it was small, but often, uh, I could digest it quite easily. And then it was just to sit and put feet up and just, just take a few minutes just to relax, um, before we have a whistle. So it was not a bell for us. So I still have nightmares about that whistle, but, uh, that whistle at three minutes to go. And as soon as that head, you know, to start with you, you, you got up at three minutes to go and you'd be standing there waiting mm-hmm. as the race goes on you don't get up at the three, maybe get up at the two, one minute to go, then you start walking towards and you're there ready to go. Um, but yeah, every, every time you got back to the tent, it was the same routine. Now was Matthew nearby you? So you saw how he was doing uh, during his rest periods. He wasn't during the start when for the, maybe the first 24 hours, but for us as the field thinned out, people due to COVID restrictions were asked to leave. So a lot of the tents disappeared. And I think during the second day, uh, a lot of the people that were there were very kind. They lifted the tents and they, we were almost next to each other. So mm-hmm. we could almost then it, it became when we were working together to get the laps done. It was nice because you could see each other. But then when it became those last two and it decided to be the race, then maybe it wasn't so great that you could see each other. But it was OK. Yeah. And so, so John, I mean, when it comes, sorry, okay, John. Yeah, as you're going along, so day one, you felt good. Day two, you feel good. I mean, now you go past what you had done the most before, which I think you said was 41 or 44. And so now you're in unknown territory, and you know, and you're going to uh, just keep going. Did, did you feel good, or did you have some real low points you had to work through? Okay. Um, to me, there's several parts of that question, if you don't mind, Joe. Yeah, yeah. To start, for me, for, for backyard race, yes, it's the furthest, um, but not the furthest I've ever run. Um, yeah. I've done 618-mile race uh, oh. before. Nice. Uh, so to do 618 and to sleep out on the trail and continue the next day and the next day. So I was out there for uh, 11 days, 10 nights on the go, nonstop. Nice. So for me, that was the longest race, and that gave me the insight to maybe the mindset and what my highs and lows were. And my highs and lows, probably everyone gets the buzz off daybreak coming through, and the, the birds are singing, and the, the lights breaking through the trees, and you get that second win, and you're like, wow, we're just starting all over again. And that picked up. The lows, maybe, yes, the darkness, but also if you let your head think about too many things if you let too many thoughts in um and before the race i have to make sure that i tick all my boxes if i have all my boxes ticked then i'm good to go you bad and so so the, you know let's go into that that mindset for a second john because that's what i found with the people that are most successful i mean you think about I mean, courtney dewalter has been on the call you know johan steen harvey lewis you know some real real incredible uh backyard performances is what I find is that they are exceptionally well of not, you know, regretting the past, thinking about the past, what they didn't do, what they did do, um, not fearing too much of what's going on in the future. You know, the ideas of, oh my goodness, if this is how I'm feeling, how am I going to be feeling in 12 hours, 24 hours? But they're really good at living in the now. 
of, 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 of making the best of being in the moment. Um, do you find that that is the case, you know, where if you, you can eliminate all the, you know, the, the, the mindful you know, issues of, of, of propelling yourself into the future, if you could just be like, okay, I can control how I'm feeling in the moment and I can run to that tree up there. Is that where you were at, um, kind of post 41, 41 uh, yards? Yeah, very much so. It was for me, it was just, all I've got to do is run this one loop. Right. I'm not worried about the next loop or the following loop. Mm -hmm. It's all about this one loop. Uh, as long as I know that I can make it to that set point and I'm feeling good, then great. We've, we've got this loop. Um, and each point, you know, just to remember where you are and what you're doing, that was enough. Mm -hmm. I didn't need to take in everything else from around me or any other runners. It was just the head was just concentrating on putting that one foot in front of the other and completing that one loop. And then we'll go again. Now, were you surprised as you went along that Matthew was holding in for so long? You keep, do you think about this? Like, oh, well, I wonder if he's going to drop or like when you get to 40 and you're at 50 and you're at 60, does it start to be like, oh boy, I wish he would drop or you just. <laughs> I, think, I think in, in the backyard race, I think you always wish that when it gets down to the two, you always wish the other person would drop. Mm -hmm. But um. We, we were we were going quite well until we got past the 40 and we got past the 50. And then the race director made us aware that actually soon that you could, if you work together, take the European record. Uh, I think it was 67 or 63. It was set uh, only two weeks beforehand. And at that point, we started to run together more than anything. We, we worked together. We went around the loops together. We'd start, we finished together. We went into the darkness together. Um, mm -hmm. When we broke the European record, we came in and we'd had a, maybe it was tiredness, but we'd had a chat on the course and it was this unfairness of one person taking everything and one not getting anything. And we had this chat in the course and maybe it was tiredness or through the night, I don't know, but we came in and we actually discussed with the race director that if we, if we both decide not to go out, could one of us take the win and one of us take the record? And true to form, Lindley, race director, amazing man, uh, told our crews, I think, to put them in tents, get them ready for the next lap, tell them to shut up and send them back out again. Perfect. Yeah. And that was it. And, and your head plays games for you. And he reminded us that we are there to do a race and it is last man standing, no matter how fair or unfair it is. Um, as we said before, I would never have got the world record without Matthew. But you, you do, after a certain point, you just wish that they would drop. Mm. Um, I don't think we'd got to that point where I was at the mindset where I was hoping he was dropping. Even on that 80th lap, I didn't think he was going to drop. So but, let's, um, let's go there, John. So, you know, so on the 80th lap, <laughs> um, you... You know, you, you, you show up at the start line. So tell, tell, tell us about the moment when you found out that, that Matthew Blackburn said, you know what, enough is enough. Okay, so on that 80th lap, it was just coming up. It was the lap before head torch time. So mm -hmm. it was, it was late-ish evening, 8 o'clock in the evening. And Matthew had gone ahead of me because for me, one of those tick boxes is I, um, I had to do a video call to say goodnight to my children. Mm, and as he was running off in the distance, I was walking along, doing a video call, finding out about their day, making sure that I touched home and they were happy with me being here and everything was good. Mm -hmm. So I was actually 10 minutes behind in my schedule, which would have maybe upset me more, but I'd had a good feed. And I was fine with a quick stop on the next lap. Um, I made it to coming up to almost mile one where we come up through the woods and I was 10 minutes behind. And as I'm coming into the woods, Matthew's now, he'd been outside, he's now walking back towards me. And um, I, I literally said to him, have you, have you lost something? Have you dropped your headphones? Have you, what, what's wrong? And Matthew looked at me and just said, um, I've lost it, I'm out. And it is, it, I think it's as easy as that. It, the, the, he was physically absolutely fine. And he could have continued on and on. I have no doubt of that at all. Wow. But the head just literally switched and said, that's it. And there's a small interview they did with Matthew that he was running through his woods 
and he got to the road to cross and he stood there and he looked round and he didn't know what he was doing there. He, his, his head had switched and until he looked down at his shorts and saw his race number and he mm. went, aha, that's what I'm doing here. He, his head had totally switched off. And at that point when he saw his race number, he went, no, that's it, I'm done. And at that one point he turned around and walked the mile back to the to the start line where he crossed paths with me. And that's when I knew that maybe this, this was going to be the last loop. Um, and he said in one of his interviews that on the way back to when you decide to quit a race, usually you get this euphoria of relief mm. and you, you, you know that that's it. The pressure's off and you can relax. He didn't get that. Mm-hmm. Walking back to the finish line, he didn't get that. He just got that sinking feeling that that was it. He, his race was over. Mm-hmm. Well, me, you know, sorry, your last, it's like, going around your last time, how did you feel? Did you feel the elation at that moment then? I, I kept looking back for the next mile just to see if he had changed his mind. Mm-hmm. And I kept looking over my shoulder because there's a, quite a long straight that comes up after that uphill that you can look from the top of that straight back and you can see if there's anyone. And there was no one coming. At that point, then crew text me to say Matthew's arrived back and he's rung the bell. You are on your last loop, um, mm. and it, it just becomes a wave of emotions. Mm. One that, oh my goodness, I'm looking at my watch, thinking I've got to get a shift on because if not, I'm going to muck up this last lap, and mm. I'm going to run out of time because I was so far behind. Then the the worst thing happens is you push too hard. And on that last lap, I caught my toe with a half mile to go on a tree route that I've run past 80 times before, remember, and I'm over and I'm on the floor and I hit hard and I'm laying there and I'm out of breath. My ribs are hurting. I've fallen a few times through the day just due to, I guess, lack of sleep. And I'm laying there thinking, that's it. That's my whole race done. I'm not getting up from this. And it took one or two minutes to get to my feet and I hobbled along the road section before starting to be able to run again. And I really thought that that was the end of my race. So if you look at my times, they're all consistent 45, 46, 47 minutes until my last lap of 52. And that was because I spent time laying on the floor, um, not really knowing if we were going to finish or not. And so, you know, John, we, a while back, I don't know, maybe six months ago, we ended up interviewing Torbjörg, um, you know, uh, Toby from, uh, I'm not going to pronounce his last name, Swedish, super long, you know, Swedish name. Um, he ended up winning the, the, the Swedish, uh, I ran with him in Biggs last year. Great, great fellow. You're, you, you'll get to meet him this year. And he ended up winning the Swedish, uh, uh, you know, satellite races, you know, Laz's satellite races last year. And he ended up saying that, you know, the last lap that when he found out that he needed to do one full lap after Anna Carlson ended up dropping. So he, it was, it was just him. Yeah. He said it was, it was, it was, it was the worst he's ever felt in his life when it came to, you know, he wanted to achieve his end. He wanted to, to, to find the end of his rope, you know, to find the bottom of the well. And, but yet he, he, he couldn't and he was out there running with Anna who's a very dear friend of his and she failed and you know he felt terrible for her he wanted her to win he wanted to. and so there were all these really odd strange emotions that would just flood through at a time when you were really incapable of, of handling those emotions you, you had a lot of those those same feelings different feelings odd feelings feelings that you'll never you know forget in your life you know kind of explain some some more of those yeah, the, the feeling of guilt, knowing that you're on that last lap and knowing that M- Matthew was, this would never have been possible without him. Yeah. Um, knowing maybe if we hadn't broken any of the records that we did, maybe if it was just a win, maybe it would have been different. But because he was there and he broke the European record and then he broke the world record with me, um, I think the, the, the guilt set in. Um, quite early on in that last lap and, and, and at the same time you got this euphoria of I'm going to win I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going I'm going to win I'm, I'm going to go to Biggs I'm going to meet massive stars like Dave Scott and mm-hmm. I'm going to go there and meet all you guys mm-hmm. 
because you know to me you guys you're who we watch on tv at home mm. doing all the races never did i ever put myself in that criteria ever um so you have all these thoughts going through your head at the same time right but at the same time you're like i could do another lap though yeah. and then you're, you're hoping actually maybe he's going to come back out and or that, and that's i think the tough thing of the the backyard races is unless you are that one that fails that last lap to know that you've reached that end of the barrel the end of your rope you never know how much more that winner could do mm -hmm. right which is one of the questions we've talked to a lot of people about which is how far can we go you know is is a hundred possible we don't know of course until <clears throat> you have that person who can go with you for one last lap that, that's the problem it, it's, it's only possible if you've got that assist right so do you yeah. think a hundred's possible oh yeah 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 it, it was one more night it was, it was and it sounds bad doesn't it it was only 19 more hours to go it was only 19 <laughs> more loops so the, the hardest thing for us would have been maybe the night section that we were going into yeah but it was only for five loops and then you had that daybreak you had that you had that euphoria of it's a new day and mm -hmm. and as long as you have your fueling right and you you keep your head yes i think 100 is possible yeah i think that john i think a lot of things have to come together when it comes to fueling practices hydration practices body practices uh, not letting things get out of hand you don't have to come into the event you know, with your body, you know, feeling okay, if that tendonitis is, is creeping up, hey, it, it might be a short day for you, even if, if, even if you're a phenomenal racer. Um, but in my opinion, at Biggs this year, you know, you end up getting enough, you know, complete idiots together that don't understand what the finish line really is. Um, you know, I have a feeling at 72 hours, we're going to see six runners still remaining in the event. And I think that's that's when you end up seeing, you know, really, really big numbers because, you know, then just like you and Matthew, you know, you lean heavily upon one another. You know, there, there's an interesting part, and I wanted to ask you about this because, um, and I, I get it, it was just you and Matthew for the last 44 hours. But I know at Biggs, you know, in 2019, when I, you know, people were dropping out around me and everybody would stop and wait on the course. And you'd come by and you give them a hug. You, 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 I can't tell you how many people I told them that, that I love them. Um, and it's really strange because, you know, these are your competitors, you know, yeah. but yet after a while you really lean upon them in order to take you further. There's that, you, there's that phrase, that, that um, African phrase that uh, Nelson Mandela used a lot during his presidency, uh, Ubuntu. And Ubuntu means I am because we are. And, you know, I, I need you to be, you know, John, down at Biggs this year, I need you to be exceptional because you're only, I'm only as exceptional as you are. So we need to do yeah. our things together. And, and so as a communal energy, as this communal force, we're going to be as great as our weakest link. And we need to lift up that person. If I come to, to Biggs and I really like a sandwich, I better bring 20 of them to give them to all my friends. And that's, I think, ultimately what 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 these backyard races are all about. Um, you know, just one other thing. Yeah, I kind of want to touch on a little bit. Sorry, I get really excited about this stuff because this is just the coolest, coolest stuff. Is is you know, one one thought about backyard racing. It doesn't really matter if you are you know drop out at you know, twenty or thirty or forty or fifty laps, and you end up in eighth or twentieth place or whatever it is. There's a, there's a level of regret. Sometimes when you finish, there's an equal uh, feeling of, of, of negative feelings around that. So ultimately, backyard racing, the, the finish line is the, the artificial line that the, that the assist sets up for the, for, for the eventual winner. Yep. But, but ultimately, you know, everybody leaves their feeling pretty bad, which is really, really odd. Um, did you go home in the next 24 hours, 48 hours after the run and have this just mixed emotions, things you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I achieved that. If I could achieve that, what else could I achieve in life? Maybe other feelings of, 
I just feel terrible for Matthew. Like he deserved to win as well. I mean, did you go home and in the next 48 hours were, were, were a tornado? Massively. Um, we literally finished the race and it straight away sunk in that I'd won. But it also, I'm, I've got Matthew standing there and I felt mm. awful because he, he's walking away with these like, little dog tags. And you're thinking, oh my. And then what happened was um, I came home almost straight away because um, I wanted to see family and I wanted to see my kids. Mm-hmm. And I got home and I had two hours sleep. And then I was up for the rest of the day. And for some strange reason, and, and I, I can't understand why, sort of now, but I don't, my phone didn't stop um, through media attention, newspapers, TV, it didn't stop. Mm-hmm. But for me, I just went there to run a race. I didn't go there to break a record or do any of those. I went there to run a race and do what I did in the year before. And that was to do one more lap than anyone else. I don't think I was ready for what came next. Um, and I, I still find it hard to understand why, why someone like yourself would want me on their podcast. Because to me, I'm still the same guy I was maybe four or five weeks before. You know, I'm, I'm still that guy that goes out, runs every day, enjoys running, puts the time in at home, makes sure that everything's good. Um, you know, the, the weekend before the backyard race, I went and did a 145 mile run, mm. um, Grand Union Canal, uh, Canal race the weekend before the backyard race. Mm. I'm, I'm nothing it, to me. It was very strange. The attention that I started getting after mm. doing the backyard race. And that, that was the biggest thing I had to deal with um, and still find hard to understand or get used to now. Yeah. The per- but you're, you explain exactly the reason why we started the podcast. What mm. we want to do is find all of us who think we're ordinary, but at some point end up having an extraordinary part of our life in some way. And trying to bring that message to anyone who would listen, who might think of themselves as not capable of doing extraordinary things, who then could be inspired by saying, wow, look at that, you know? John was sort of a regular guy with three kids and a job and look what he accomplished or, you know, that most everything, you know, in sport tends to be, you know, well, people who get paid a lot of money and a lot of attention, but they're not any better than any of us. You know, they just happen to find a place that's at the center of media attention. We believe there's a huge amount of people who are actually extraordinary because of the choices they've made. Because mm-hmm. of the way that you went about it, because of sort of your, you know, determined nature. You know, there's, you know, many years that I've been studying this. And I think that the, the choices you make of the life that you end up living, there isn't any other way, right? And so the choice you made, how to get there, the choice you made to continue on, the ability to work through the struggle, which is what life is about. And the more that we can embrace that, the more reward we get, and not reward in the way of some monetary reward, but the reward inside yourself for, wow, this guy, John, I never thought of myself like that. That's mm-hmm. okay, but it really just shows what's possible. And, and that's the beauty of the human spirit. And we don't know what the, the limit is. And a hundred years from now, it'll probably be even more different than it is today. But I think our spirit will always be the same. It's sort of indefatigable. It's, it's a, um, you know, it's a fountain that never stops, but you just have to tap into it. And that's the magic that we're trying to uncover. Mm-hmm. And you are just another inspirational example of that because of how you think about yourself. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The most special people in the world, John, are the people that don't think they're special at all. But you have an exceptional talent, an exceptional ability to be able to shut certain things off and to be stubborn and gritty. Um, you know, and I think that at, at any time in the world, and tell me if I'm wrong, John, um, is you, the world needs that right now. 
you know, yeah, here in Canada, you know, our mental health issues across the country are going through the roof. People can't handle, um, you know, what's going on when it comes to uh, it being um, you know, alienated and socially alienated and, 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 and careers uh, failing and, and on and so forth because of this pandemic. And, um, you know, I think when it comes to the, you know, what, you know, what people are fascinated about your backyard performance is that you you had one option. It was to stand up out of your chair and do it again. And you did it over and over and over again when everybody else seems to quit. Um, you know, that, that, that uh, learned um, uh, uh, you know, failure, your, that learned quittingness. You know, people after a while, they go, okay, what's the point? I'm going to give up. Um, you don't. And that maybe that's the gift. They, maybe that's what people are looking at, Pat, upon. You know, tell, tell, me, if, tell me if I'm wrong. No, I don't think you're wrong. I think if, if we wanted to go in deeper, then mm-hmm. it's, it's, um, it's always, um, and I don't know, maybe I don't know where this started, but I always feel like maybe I, I never achieved what I, I needed to achieve. Uh, I feel like maybe... The, the pandemic, we had a, a family business um, for 10 years. I worked 24-7. I was there five in the morning, came home late evenings. I, I worked more than I saw my kids. Mm. And I shouldn't have. I should have been around more. And I, I missed out on my kids growing up. I missed out on the younger years, which we can never, as you know, as a father, we never get those years back. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like I failed them slightly at that. And I wasn't around for those years. If they wanted to see me, they had to come to work to see me. Um, and, and that kind of like sits in the back of the head. That's the one feeling that I carry around that race. And that feeling that I, I feel myself, and many people tell me I didn't. Um, and with the pandemic, then closing our family business down, which was a health club, and we lost all 10 years of work. Um, we got left with massive debt. Um, for me, again, I, I feel like I failed them. I, I failed my kids. I failed my family. And for that to take it to a race where all I have to do is keep running. Mm-hmm. All I've got to do is put my foot on that start line and do another loop. And maybe this loop is the last. It doesn't matter. But I will keep going because this, at the moment, my body hasn't given up on me and my head is strong enough. So maybe this is for once, one thing I'm not going to fail at. Yeah. And, well, and maybe that's the, that's the dying factor in my head is that I, I feel I've let so many people down and I've failed my kids that this is one thing that if you're going to line up against me, you're going to have to go through that through me to make sure I don't win. And I think that, you know, of the three of us, um, I have the oldest children uh, and they're adults. And so uh, I think actually you don't know how much you've really done for them. And you'll find out later that you've instilled in them a magic that you'll see later on the mm-hmm. ability for them to be independent. They'll take from you, uh, this determined nature which is how we succeed in this life they're going to take from you this belief in yourself and what you did create the fact that it might have struggled at the end is nothing to do with you and the choices you made were important to those moments and they see that it wasn't a choice between the work and them this was a choice for you to take care of your family which they believe and know in their hearts is what you did and so because i worked too much myself but my kids haven't disowned me and they've become pretty well established, independent in my situation. Two girls who I think are role models for what young adults should be like. Mm-hmm. And they never talk about the fact that I wasn't there. They only talk about that we cared for each other. We built in this discipline. We took ownership for our lives. And they became magical in their own way. And then like we were talking before, you know, at the 24-hour race, my youngest daughter came and supported me. That was her Father's Day gift to me to be my crew for the 24-hour race. Now, would she have done that if I had sold her out? Absolutely not. 
And so it's hard to see it when you're in the middle of it, but I'll mm -hmm. sort of give you a promise that the reward is out there and it's just sort of like the seeds are starting to grow and you're going to feel yeah. it really big time later. So, but I appreciate what you said because it, we all can feel what you feel. There's no question that is true and touching because, you know, I know that I felt teary eyed when you said that because I exactly understand it, but yeah. yeah, but be proud of what you've done and, and the more that you can continue to do because what you just proved to all of us is that what's inside us is what makes the difference. You know, yeah, no privilege I, granted, only earned. Absolutely. And what I love about all of that is, is, you know, most of us long for, you know, for us to understand or, or you know, that, that, our, that our children will understand what a true hero is. And, you know, heroes don't come in different forms of, you know, Marvel comic books. They come out of, you know, everyday life experiences when it comes to um, determination and anti-fragility and grit, because that's something that we could all control. And, you know, yeah, I, I've noticed that as well, too. I, I keep wondering myself as a parent, you know, do my kids pay attention? Do they, do they notice these things? Do they, but then you start noticing their behaviors years down the road and, you know, they pay attention, you know, um, you know, that person sleeping across the hallway, you know, they, they notice, they notice those little things that you think that nobody notices, they notice it, they, they pay attention. And, and so, you know, I like to think, Hey, I need to practice more anti-fragility practices in my life. I need to, I need to be a little bit tougher. I need to make harder choices. And, uh, you know, the greatest feeling in the world, John, is when I notice that my children start doing the very same thing. And uh, you just did an exceptional thing. And I, 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 I guarantee you it hasn't really sunk in yet, the 81 hours. And you know what? You might be running 181 hours down in Tennessee here at the end of the, at the, end of the year. But, you know, just the, the door that you've opened for them. Um, yeah you couldn't have given a better, um, you know, better, better example. And, and so, and thank you, John, for, for being vulnerable and, and, and being open and us, us men, uh, us fathers, we need to do that with one another. And we need to, you know, be promoting one another on, on, on being open and saying, Hey, these are my fears and concerns and worries in life. And um, not only as dads, but as business owners and, 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 and this is how I can exhibit this in, in, in my craft in running, where it's just, I don't really need to be special. I just need to not quit. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, we love ending the podcast on this sort of, you know, when we crafted the concept, in addition to looking for people like you, John, mm -hmm. we, we like this idea of, you know, come chase tomorrow with us because, you know, we know tomorrow can be better than today because we can make it that way. So what you're chasing tomorrow? My tomorrow would be still, I guess, getting up in the morning, doing the same thing again and being here and seeing my kids grow up and being a part of their life and being an influencer to them alone would be enough for me. Um, to be an influencer to anyone else is a bonus. Um, but for me, chasing tomorrow is just to... I'm very humbled. I'm very, I'm quite happy with just making sure tomorrow is a, a happy day and, and everyone is good and we can go for a run and just stop in the middle of a run. I don't think people stop enough times and just stop and just have a look around where you are. Remember to look up in your runs. Don't always look down the pavement. Just have a look up, look where you are. And just be grateful for what we've got. And just to, especially after the, the year or so we've just come through, to look around and be grateful for what we've got around us and, and to enjoy. And that's it. Well, John, you're now part of our community. Uh, Dave and I are here to do anything we ever can to help support you. Mm -hmm. um, and also the rest of the, the great people who have gone out and tried challenges like you have, have a deep love and respect for what you've accomplished and you should be very proud of yourself. We are. And really Thank appreciate you giving us some time. And we are sure to be in touch again. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Look forward to speaking to you again.
Give those yeah. kids a hug and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank Absolutely. you very much. Thank you, John. I'll see you down in Tennessee. See you in Tennessee. Take care. Hey, Dave, being a backyard expert, you must have truly enjoyed talking to John. I mean, his performance was truly outsized. And what I really find interesting is what happened to him on the last lap. It almost seems like he needed some real drama to take his incredible physical performance to the next level. And then I think we're going to need to hold him to that prediction of 100 yards. I mean, that would be a physical performance that would rival any ever completed in sport. I think his chasing tomorrow is truly amazing. And well, there you have it. That's a wrap for this week. As always, a big shout out to our sponsor, Performance Tea. You can find them on www.performancetea.com and they've given us a discount code for any of our listeners to get 20% off their purchase. Just use Chasing20 at checkout. And we'd greatly appreciate it if you could follow us on Instagram and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be awesome. And as always, a huge thanks to our listeners for coming with us on this journey and chasing tomorrow with us. Thanks very much.